the beautiful part about mobile home communities and also the same can be said about RV campgrounds are that you're in the land lease business. Most real estate faces significant depreciation from the physical improvements themselves. And in this case, the infrastructure is really the main thing we have to continue to maintain over time, the roads, the signage, utilities, and so on. But generally speaking, you have what's called a tenant owned home or a resident owned home. And the end goal for any community that we operate is generally to be able to sell off the homes if we own any to where they're all resident owned homes. So it's up to the resident to be able to maintain their home. And that is significant skin in the game, number one, right? Because they have a home that they've invested into. That was Dylan Marma. Stick around to hear about the explosion in RV parks. The limited partner shares in the potentially outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment, but as a passive investor and has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. And that is why we're here together. 90% of the millionaires out there built their net worth with real estate. However, 0% of the billionaires are hands-on managing the real estate assets because there simply isn't enough time. My name is Jake Wiley, and for the past 16 years, I've been investing in real estate, and I've learned a thing or two. But the most important lesson is how to leverage the expertise and time of others to maximize your investment potential. Welcome to the Limited Partner Podcast. All right, partners, it's good to see you again. This is your host, Jake Wiley. This week, we're going to go into some niches here. I've got Dylan Marma. So Dylan is the principal at Requity Group. Dylan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jake. Excited to be here. Yeah, I think this is going to be a fun conversation, you know, talking about some things that we haven't really gotten into, like RV parks and maybe campgrounds. We'll see where it goes. But, you know, to help kind of set the stage for the listeners out there, if you wouldn't mind, give us a little bit of background on, on who you are, how you got started, and maybe even somehow you pick some of these niches. Yeah, sure. So initially from upstate New York, lived in five different states now at this point, and got my start, as many did, investing into single family homes probably about seven years back now, investing into turnkey single family rentals, realized that, well, one, I didn't love the turnkey model to begin with. And then two, I learned about the model of multifamily syndication and really became enamored with the vehicle and decided to really double down and uh, pursue it and learn as much as I possibly could about multifamily and syndication. And that eventually led me into mobile home parks, which led me into RV campgrounds. And today I've worked on over a hundred million in assets, over 20 transactions. And, uh, you know, we grow, we're vertically integrated business called the Requity Group based out of Tampa, Florida. Well, that's awesome. So I guess, tell me what it is that really kind of stoked your interest of looking at like some of these alternative assets. So you started a multifamily, but like you, you kind of pivoted. Tell me about that. So I think the big thing was that for me, after getting started with multifamily, I really hit a point where I think I was just a little bit out of alignment with where the market pricing was and was having a tougher time making deals pencil. Maybe at first it was one in every 50 deals made sense and one in every hundred. And then I think there was a point where I went a year without doing any transactions. And that was a pretty, I'd say, discouraging experience. And throughout that time period, I was having a lot of discussions with local friends of mine and contacts that are in the real estate space that were just crushing it with the mobile home communities. And they were sitting complaining about how the yield they were able to get was no longer 20% cash flow year over year. 
And I was sitting there watching multifamily go from, you know, 10% to 8% to, you know, five or 6% each year. And I thought that it was, it was sort of a good problem to have to be complaining about, you know, being able to see double digit returns and then waking up to sort of the, the fact that they're not nearly as risky as they might've been by me at the offset. And that really opened up my eyes to a real opportunity. I'd say, you know, the opportunity itself has changed a little bit. The atmosphere and has changed a little bit since I first got into the mobile home park space, but that's what got me initially piqued my interest and got me really beginning to look elsewhere. I mean, frankly, I thought I'd be doing apartments for the rest of my life. I thought that would be the only thing I ever did. That'd be my bread and butter. And, you know, at, at a certain point, I think you have to be able to pivot to adopt to the current environment that you're in. And I still think there's a ton of amazing opportunities in multifamilies. I'm not trying to discourage any listeners from the multifamily space, but I would say that I think keeping an open mind is helpful and not being so narrow on your investment focus where you're only willing to do, say, one asset type, because at a certain price, I think everything becomes over underpriced. And I think everyone's got their own viewpoints on sort of what the value should be on different asset types. Let's dive in there a little bit more, because like you, one thing you mentioned earlier was it's not as risky as you thought it would be, right? So there's my listeners out there, I'm sure there's a few of them. They're like, oh, mobile homes, like... <laughs> I don't know about that, right? Apartments, like I see, I've lived in an apartment. I've never been in a mobile home. Let's talk about the risk and maybe like some of the common things that people think about when they think about mobile homes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, I grew up growing up in upstate New York. I think that's an area of the country where there is quite a stigma around mobile homes and people think trailer parks and they have their own vision of what that looks like inside their head. But I think that as you start to really look around and realize that there's so many really actually really high quality manufactured housing communities around the country that you walk in and you experience and it's very far from a trailer park i think you start to recognize the fact that you can have some high quality residents i think at the offset coming from the apartment background you've put so much emphasis on the quality of your resident because you're always thinking about you know your renewal ratios your evictions and your collections so when you think you know the stigma of mobile home park or trailer park, then you instantly go to, well, that's got to be a tough business because of the you know possible collection issues and the, the quality of the residents. But I think it is not true that I think it's much, much less of an issue than people make it out to, to look like on the offset. And the reason why is because of the mechanics of how the business itself functions. So the beautiful part about mobile home communities and also the same can be said about RV campgrounds are that you're in the land lease business. Most real estate faces significant depreciation from the physical improvements themselves. And in this case, the infrastructure is really the main thing we have to continue to maintain over time, the roads, the signage, utilities, and so on. But Generally speaking, you have what's called a tenant owned home or a resident owned home. And the end goal for any community that we operate is generally to be able to sell off the homes if we own any to where they're all resident owned homes. So it's up to the resident to be able to maintain their home. And that is significant skin in the game, number one, right? Because they have a home that they've invested into. So they have more of a pride of ownership than someone staying in say a C-class apartment and they're more incentivized to keep it nice from the next year and the interior. Two, it, it's very expensive to be able to move the homes. It can cost over $5,000 to be able to move a home from one community to the next. 
So not only do they have skin in the game in the home itself, but it's also very pricey to move the home if there are ever to be an eviction or something along those lines. So they're heavily vested in that portion of it. And then the third key point is the land lease element is that a typical land lease costs significantly less than does say an apartment rent, right? And I don't love how I compare them to apartments because I genuinely believe that these are not an alternative towards renting an apartment. It's usually an alternative for families versus renting or buying a single family home. But I think because it's still a rental in that sense, it's easier to compare it to apartments. But generally the land lease itself or the, what you call the lot rent is usually about 50% of what it might be if it were a you know C-class apartment. So it's a low enough payment where collections issues are you know, they're still existing. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're not, you know, they're non-material, but generally speaking, your collections loss, you know, you've seen them as low as 1% and it can often be about 2% or so. And it's not much different than what you see with say like C-class apartments. And then the average length of stay is what really made me realize that there's not as much risk as I initially perceived at the offset, because the average length of stay for once someone owns their own home is usually 15 to 20 years. Whereas Coming from the apartment background, I was used to every two years having to deal with the turnover and all the costs that come associated with that. So re realizing that you have a really sticky resident, you have good collections, and you have very low CapEx expenditures, it was a combination of those that, you know, that all kind of led to me having that light bulb moment. I think that's really interesting. And maybe you can help like paint a picture for me too, because you threw out some terms. There's mobile homes. There's manufactured home, but sometimes they're the same thing. Sometimes they're different. Almost the same thing. Whenever I hear manufactured, manufactured is just by industry standards. That's what the industry is trying to push towards. But people are so used to using the term mobile home that it kind of sticks and it's hard to erase that. But generally they're not usually mobile. So when I say RV, those are maybe more of like what are truly mobile, still on wheels and easy to move around. Okay. Gotcha. And then in terms of thinking about the community, so we've probably all seen like a, a mobile home park or even an RV park, which is like pads, right? And then there's a building. Sometimes they, you know, they put the, take the wheels off and put the skirts on it. And then there's like literally RVs that can drive up and like hook up to the sewage and, you know, the electrical and then drive away. And then I think what you're explaining, which I think is kind of fascinating about the whole space is that, yes, you may own some of the buildings that are on the lot, but eventually like the intent and part of the strategy is to get the ownership of the actual like building into the tenant, right? And then therefore like you're just leasing the land. So like you have like the kind of horizontal risk, but you know, other than that, like they're responsible for their own property. You're not having to deal with upkeep, which is pretty impressive. And then once you get into that and then they own it and they're kind of parked and it's expensive to move, right? And that's a deterrent from them leaving. You have a lot of stickiness. Did I get that right? Yeah, nailed it. Let's talk about some of the other things you guys are looking at. So like camping or you know, talk to me about that. Sure. So when I said campground, I'm really speaking RV campground almost exclusively at this point in time, don't really have any tent camping. We do have RVs and we also have short-term rentals, which are usually cabins or single family homes that are on or adjacent to 
our RV campgrounds. So when I say campground, that's usually what I'm speaking towards. And we, we don't really have the perfect definition for what each of these are, but at the end of the day, these are communities. That's what we like to call them because that's what we feel like we're in the business of is creating, you know, great communities that bring people together and create amazing experiences through events and great customer service and things along those lines. So a campground is what I would consider to be like a middle of the road that is, you know, targeting say largely middle-class folks that own RVs of different shapes and sizes that want to come out and experience camping, disconnecting, getting outdoors and spending time with family or meeting other folks at the campground. And then we also have some that we consider more of like your resort style, which usually is a function of different sort of price points, amenity sets and things along those lines. But at the end of the day, it's both of them are still camping, but just different, you know, for folks that have different appetites for different amenity sets and things like that. Now. I'll just take a step back and share why we got into this space. This space was something that it sort of bled into what we were already doing within the mobile home community space. We ended up buying one that was half long-term RV sites and half mobile homes. And then as we were continuing to explore new deals, we found our first deal that was exclusively more of a seasonal or we call it seasonal or annual RV campground that had long-term sites with folks that did not live there full-time. They all had primary residences elsewhere, but it was on the water. And a lot of them had their boats stored on site and they had golf carts on site and they came up every weekend for different kind of events and get togethers and things like that. So we saw it was really sticky revenue and it was a great community. It seemed like a fun business and also one that could be very rewarding. And we ended up purchasing that one. It was 137 sites as our first true RV campground. And the more we kind of got to digging in, we saw the data is leading to this being a really good industry to be a part of. We saw it's a growing industry and we think there's a lot of trends and tailwinds that are pushing in this general direction. So we really sunk our teeth in and we continued to keep our eyes out and we found just a lot of great acquisition opportunities there, especially as things became more competitive within the mobile home community space. We are looking back, we're really grateful that we got into this space because we still believe it's trailing, you know, 10 years behind where mobile home communities are in the sense that there's a lot of mom and pop ownership that hasn't really exchanged hands yet. And by being early consolidators, if you will, we feel like there's a lot of opportunity in that. Yeah, and I, so just as a thought one, I would imagine that it's a little bit more operationally intensive because you got people kind of moving in and out. But one thing that was really surprising is that a year ago, we did like a family trip where we went all the way across the country and back. And nice. we considered, you know, renting an RV and being like, hey, we can go and like, basically we have our house and we can park it somewhere. And what was really shocking to me is that the nightly rental for an RV wasn't that much different than getting a hotel room. And I was like, man, like this is, you know, the point is that demand was at a place where like the rates were, you know, I wouldn't say like super high, but like we were talking about like a hundred dollars a night, you know, to park your own RV on the site. And I was like, man, this is an interesting business model. I was thinking there was going to be like 10 bucks or, you know, something like the old days when I used to just go camping. So it's come a long way. Yeah, it's definitely come a long way. And that's both, I think, good and bad for campers. I think the camping community itself is growing significantly, but I think at the same time, you're seeing people that used to be able to pick up and just go camping spontaneously on a Friday and go find a local spot on the weekend. Now they're running into issues because they have to book six months or 12 months in advance because there is such a high demand and 
low supply in most locations in the country. There's a shortage of supply versus the demand. So I think we're seeing that firsthand. And of course, being on the ownership side, we think it's a great business from that standpoint. We think there will be ongoing development in the future that will you know sort of level that out. But we think it's going to take quite a bit of time to get there. And there's just a ton of value add opportunities. So to your point, it's definitely a more operations intensive business, but we've always been the group to lean into the operation stuff and roll up our sleeves. I mean, that's just sort of what separated us, I think, from a lot of the folks that are buying more, you know, turnkey communities. We're okay with that aspect of it. We have a great team. We do a lot of training to be able to make sure we're offering world-class hospitality. And we have event schedules where we're doing events pretty much every weekend, depending on the size of the campground. So we love that aspect because we feel like it gives us sort of an edge and a place to stand out and shine. And we think we've created a lot of amazing guest experiences in the process. So, you know, there's a quote, you know, from McDonald's and I'm probably going to like butcher it, but it's like, you know, people think I'm in the hamburger business, but I'm really in the real estate business. And mm -hmm. I think that there's an interesting angle to kind of RV parks and mobile home parks that most people probably don't think about. And, you know, I am by no means an expert, but I always thought this was kind of interesting is that when you find one, it's generally like a grandfathered in kind of use, right? It's, you can't just be like, Hey, we're out of like mobile home spots. So like, we'll just go to the lot next door and just build another one. Like there's a lot of like restrictions. It's like, if it's there, it's okay. You know, and like that persists, but I think that there are a lot of really interesting locations for, you know, the land itself that it could be a value add play down the road. Is Am I even thinking about that? No, correctly? you're spot on. I definitely think that gets underestimated or overlooked by a lot of people when they're beginning to look at these asset types. The barrier to entry is such a real thing. So speaking briefly about mobile home communities, but usually year over year, there's a loss of supply because more are getting taken down and developed into something else than there are getting built. And that's usually because it's very hard to get the right kind of zoning to be able to build more. And on the RV campground side, that's one of the number one things that we look at and pay attention to when it comes to identifying which markets we want to be a participant in. The largest section of our portfolio is along the North Carolina coast. We're you know, steadily approaching a uh, thousand lots. And on the North Carolina coast, we found that some of those counties are very difficult to get approval for a new development. And they have really high standards of what they would expect if they were to approve you to the point where it may not be cost-effective and we might be buying at a basis well below what it might take to build a new community at those sort of standards. So for us, that's what we look at as sort of our moat and our barrier to entry and gives us a lot of peace of mind that this is going to remain a high demand location. Aside from the fact that it's on the coast, it's there's not gonna be continuous supply sprouting up. And the same can be said on the opposite side, I think you see in Texas, there's a lot of RV campgrounds that are coming to market and there's a lot that are being developed right now. I don't want to overgeneralize and say the state of Texas. I'm just not familiar enough because we don't have existing portfolio there right now with the specific cities that I would keep away from. But I know that as a whole, it's a lot more development friendly and there are markets there that are arguably overbuilt, or I'd be worried about becoming overbuilt over time, especially if you're not really in the middle of the actual city itself and you're sitting there an hour and a half outside of the major cities and people are building between you and the city itself. And I would challenge you, my listener out there, that like when you're driving around and you're just kind of thinking about it, next time you spot an RV park and you're like, man, that is a really great location, you know, <laughs> like 
it's a, it's hard to believe you got you know a, a mobile home park or an RV park like literally on the ocean or right across the street from it like this there's a lot of like intrinsic value of like what's the highest and best use and like over time like it's an insulator for the value of the asset the underlying asset which you're building but switching gears a little bit you mentioned mom and pop operators and like the the fact that it's kind of way behind I want to draw that into the conversation a little bit more because that's the value at play right there's a lot more juice left in the squeeze in kind of this mobile home RV park, you know, mom and pop historical operators than you're finding in, you know, multifamily, you know, self-storage and all these other kind of asset classes. But if you wouldn't mind, explain that a little bit more. Yeah. So I think the mobile home community space is, is extremely competitive right now. I mean, prices have gone up over 30% in the last, you know, I think it's the last 24 months. So you're seeing less of that because a lot of the existing mom and pops, the last of the mom and pops, I would say, are they've already been called on so many times or had brokers, you know, give them BOVs or they've seen sales comps in their area that it is becoming more difficult. So if you find quality deals right now that look to make sense and the numbers work, I would act on them quickly. And I think that's just to give listeners a sense. I think self-storage is probably easier to find right now than mobile home communities, but that comes with a whole different set of you know opportunities and risks in itself, right? But on the RV campground side, I think RV campgrounds are probably less competitive than either self-storage or mobile home communities because there are just frankly a lot of people that just don't understand them. They don't know how to operate them. And there's a little bit more of a barrier to entry in terms of like the learning curve and the operations aspect. And I think it'll stay that way for a while. But on that side, you know, through cold calls or whether you do cold calls or you can try direct mail or, you know, you can do direct door knocking even. There's a lot of different off-market strategies that I think can be really amazing ways to be able to generate lead flow. And I think any alternative asset operator should be incorporating these strategies to remain competitive in the market because there's nothing better than just dealing, you know, directly with the owner, being able to get to know them, build rapport with them, understand their story. And, you know, a lot of these families have, a lot of times their parents built the property, you know, 70 years ago, and they've just had such a history with the place and they want to be able to let the legacy live on. I mean, we've won deals against, you know, bigger companies just because we've built the relationship. And sometimes we've had people tell us that they want to sell to someone else that's going to hold the asset long-term and take care of it in the way that they would. And uh, they feel good about passing the torch to us. It's kind of like the Berkshire Hathaway model, not that you know, we're at any level to start comparing ourselves to them, but, you know, I think they win deals because they find a lot of family owned businesses that feel like that's a good place to be able to sell to. And I think we want to have our own version of that, where we want to be able to give the owners comfort that we're going to, you know, continue their legacy, going to be able to, you know, continue to create great experiences for their guests and their campers. Yeah, that's super helpful. And thanks for the clarification on kind of, you know, the mobile home community, the competitiveness there. Again, you know, there's like a perceived risk, but I think people have overcome that and are moving into that space. It's actually just as a side note, because it's just real time. It's been fascinating to watch. Mobile home communities are the only asset type that I've seen based on Green Street data that has not went down on pricing at all or seen any cap expansion at all, even amidst the rise of interest rates. I do think it will happen, but Compared to what I'm seeing in the multifamily landscape and just looking around at the other major food groups, it's amazing how pricing is going up. Well, 
you know, continuously here. Maybe it's the flight to safety aspect, or there's just so much inflow of capital searching for this that it hasn't seen any decrease at all, even though everything else is seeing slight decreases right now. So pretty fascinating. Let's talk about you know, what an investment looks like. I mean, I, my expectation is that it's very similar. If you're a limited partner coming into one of these, it would look very similar to getting into a deal with a multifamily, right? Basically the same structure. Is that fair? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think when I was getting into this space, I was seeing initially a lot of people doing more aggressive splits for the limited partners, like 50-50 splits and things along those lines. And I think part of the reason that people maybe were led to that were because either one, the deal sizes were smaller. So it was tough for the operators to be as incentivized, whereas multifamily, you have such large deal sizes. You weren't seeing as many people, you know, do that at least anymore. I know maybe 10, 20 years ago, you were seeing that more common. And then I think that with the space, it was just generating such crazy high returns. But I think that the space is beginning to become more mature and we'll say like, I don't, I don't know if we want to say institutionalized, but you're getting more sophisticated, reputable sponsors that are, you know, holding more of a track record and offering limited partners more similar terms to that, which you can expect to find in multifamily or any other limited partner investment. I know we offer generally around an 8% or so for return with the 70-30 split above that. We just keep it a really simple deal structure. That's always what we've done thus far. We are longer term holders in that sense, not going into this to just self-promote, but I also think that our structures may be more common in this space because of the lower capital expenditures and the limited supply. We generally like to go in and drive value and then target a refinance between those years. We usually target by end of year five, but we're usually trying to do it more end of year two or three to be able to pull back out a lot of the initial invested capital and then just hold long-term and you know let the money compound. Well, Dylan, this has been great. How can my listeners get a hold of you? Yeah, so you can always reach out on therequitygroup.com. I'm sure we can put that in the show notes. You can also add me on LinkedIn, LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm fairly active on there. If you just search my name, Dylan Marma. And I just recently got on Twitter. Reach out on our website to you know, stay plugged in if you want to check out our occasional newsletters and things like that. Well, that's great. Well, I'd like to finish every show with a bit of gratitude, give you a chance to maybe give somebody a public shout out that give you a leg up along the way that maybe you didn't deserve or just feel like deserves a little bit of a shout out. Yeah, man, it's always a tough question for me because I have so many people that I'm grateful for to this day that, you know, help me in my journey and still help me constantly, but be it peers or mentors or anything, and even just our investors, I'm extremely grateful for, right? Because we wouldn't be able to do what we do without them. So I think, you know, if I were to name just one that comes to mind, being that we're speaking about mobile home communities and you know, the journey to that, I definitely would say Charlie Dehart is, you know, he's a guy I partner with for a lot of our early deals and we still are actively looking at deals together and, you know, really brilliant guy when it comes to the mobile home space and definitely learned a lot about, you know, the ins and outs of the space, how it works and yeah, definitely grateful for that relationship. Well, hopefully Charlie, you hear that. Dylan, thank you so much for being on the show. I learned a lot. Yeah. Awesome, Jake. Well, thanks for having me and hopefully your listeners got some value. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and I'd actually love for you to contribute to a future episode. If you have a question you'd like answered or a topic or a guest to bring on the show, please email me at jake at thelimitedpartner.com. Now I realize there's a lot of lingo that's thrown around on these shows. So I've created a cheat sheet for you with the top 26 terms that come up most often. 
head on over to thelimitedpartner.com forward slash lingo for the list. Enjoy, and we'll see you next time.